2: at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Cramer. We call it the Trump rally. But how much of it really has to do with President Trump? Trump stock, Trump stock, Trump stock. One year after the election, on a day where all three major indices hit new record highs, ah. Dow inched up six points, S&P advanced 0.14%, but the NASDAQ gained 0.32%. I think we've got to set some time out and ponder the real source of this market strength. Now, don't get me wrong. Trump is as pro-business as it gets, and the s and rallied 21% since the election, which is pretty spectacular. However, the president has a lot less control over the economy than we'd like to pretend. I mean, just consider that the Nikkei of Japan's up 33% during the same period. The DAX of Germany, Germany, it's, it's rallied almost 28%. Hang sang Index from Hong Kong increased 26%. Kospi of South Korea up 27%. None of those moves are about Trump, right? the truth is, when you've got a synchronized global economic expansion, stocks tend to roar higher the world over, often regardless of the politics or style or even substance of the leader. Now, the president's been a terrific salesman for uh, our international companies, best in my lifetime for certain. Very commercial president, often making it clear that if foreign countries want to appease him, They need to buy and build American. He's an old-fashioned mercantilist. His latest tour of China is chock full of CEOs who want more Chinese business. That's a big change versus when Trump was elected, though. And many people feared he would start, remember this, a trade war with China to bring jobs back to this country? I think he's had some success getting foreign companies to do business here, to open more plants here. Although he's been less effective at his stated objective of narrowing our trade deficits. And the workers in the steel industry, they await relief. What about major business-friendly legislation? Well, frankly, there hasn't been any, at least not yet. Obamacare repeal imploded. Now tax reform is struggling in part because Trump's ambitious plans can't be squared with a fractious Congress. And in part because the whole package feels like it was put together hastily, a, a last-minute thing. Look, I, I love a tax cut, so would you. I, I think even half-baked tax reform would be good for the stock market, even if its impact on jobs might be a little more iffy. However, the truth is that it's going to be almost impossible to get anything this big passed and passed quickly. And this is why I say the congressional leadership didn't think things through. On the one side, you've got lots of Republican politicians who don't want to blow up the deficit. So if they want to pass, say, a $1.5 trillion tax cut, they need to raise new revenue somewhere else. And most of the GOP's ideas for raising that revenue are things that create a huge backlash. They want to curtail the incredibly popular mortgage deduction, eliminate the state and local taxes deduction, which is something, by the way, that no Republican from a high tax state will ever vote for. And they need every Republican. My prediction, I think tax reform will go the way of repeal in place. Why? Why? Because a major tax overhaul is really complicated. It takes a lot of time, and it takes a lot more friendship than they have down there in Washington. You know, Reagan got it done in 1986, but it didn't happen overnight. It took two years. It had to happen in a bipartisan way. And both sides had to like each other so there could be some give. This administration hasn't gotten anything big done. But on the other hand, I interviewed tons of CEOs who liked this regime. Because they almost never get any negative surprise from the White House. Negative regulations passed at the last minute, as was the case with the previous president. Or at least they're happy with how the president looks at their own businesses. Sure, there are in tweets, but they've got more bark than bite. As we know from Lockheed Martin, United Technologies and Boeing, all of which were dinged by the president on Twitter early on. But their stocks are doing fabulously among the best in the whole market. Deregulation certainly hasn't hurt and the bank stocks do well with less red tape. But they do even better when interest rates are going higher. Something that's going to happen regardless of the president's policies. The real gains from deregulation are in the energy patch where a benign atmosphere has made it a lot easier to drill and even to spill. For a while, that seemed to hold down the price of oil. But suddenly, all those futures selling by American producers seems to be drying up. Crude is back up to the mid-50s. I think a lot of it has to do with the Saudis. I think we'll find out they're cutting production. So while Trump's been positive for the stock market, I think he's had less of an impact than you might imagine. Not a slight, just empirical. Look at the biggest winners, for instance, since he won the election a year ago. Let's just go down the top 10. It's just something, you know, this is my world. I, I can do this. The best performer is NVIDIA. Which reports tomorrow. Remember, uh, I renamed my dog Everest Nvidia because, well, Nvidia is the greatest stock of the era. The dog's okay. This maker of chips from everything, for everything from autonomous driving to Bitcoin mining to gaming and artificial intelligence has seen its stock soar 194% since the election. For the record, we've told members of the ActionAlertsPlus.com club that if they don't already own Nvidia, please wait. Because it could easily sell off in even the slightest imperfection in tomorrow's results. And that's what happened last time. So let's think that history might repeat itself. Second is Align technology. Oh, I've loved this one. This is the maker of Invisalign systems. Those invisible braces for your teeth as seen at Stock War over 185%. Align is pure selfie generation stuff. And I blame the iPhone for the need to look better on Instagram and maybe even Snap. Although, given the weaknesses uh, uh, at Snap, I'd say Instagram's driving the bus. More on Snap later. Next, there's Micron, symbol MU, which has been a horse. I mean, let me say It's up 153%. Why? Because of DRAM and flash memory demand. I mean, it's overwhelmed supply thanks to voracious data center customers. This one's all about the Internet of Things not about politics. Fourth, energy Energy is up 144%. This is a replace and repair job. New management came in to make energy more of a traditional utility with a better balance sheet and less of a save-the-world orientation. The run here is more of a coiled spring from a low-level situation. Fifth, there's another one we like, Lamb Research. You've seen Martin Ansys on the show many times. It makes the capital equipment needed to manufacture all sorts of semiconductors, and its orders are off the chart. Like Micron, there are many people who believe this pace is impossible to sustain. They think land will flood the market with too much supply of machines. But that no longer seems likely, given the amazing secular growth that we are seeing from the machines that are needed in the data center. Hence the stock's 113% move. Number six, United Rentals, another one we have on the show all the time. This is a Trump-bias stock. That is if you believe that deregulation plays a role in the psyche of those who rent heavy equipment. Personally, though, I think the hurricanes have more of a hand in why it went up 96 percent since the election. Seven applied materials competes with Lam, meaning it's a good house in a good neighborhood, explains the 93 percent run in stock. And next, there's Boeing, completely large capitalization stocks here. Boeing got a slew of orders and has definitely benefited from both its considerable defense business and the president's relentless pursuit of overseas orders. Although in the House of Iron here, one of Boeing's biggest it's from Iran. That's certainly not Trump's doing. Still, he deserves some partial credit for how Boeing's order books are filling. So uh, it's 87 percent gain. some on the president. PayPal's number nine, up 80 percent during this period. And I can't possibly think of a linkage. Maybe you can. I can't. Between this payment process, payment processor's growth and President Trump. I think the credit goes to CEO Dan Schulman and his team. They've made PayPal in the millennials preferred way of paying for things, as we learned just the other day in our trip out with to the West Coast. CBOE Global Markets rounds out the list stocks up over 78%. I think that's a company with predictable growth that belongs to the red hot fintech or financial technology cohort. Not a lot of loan risk there, which could benefit from deregulation uh, for certain, definitely. But it's really a play on management's ingenuity. Now, there's a long list of other stocks that have done well, but after looking them over, and I've been able to kind of classify them pretty quickly, I can tell you that very few have anything to do with Washington or politics or uh, uh, Trump or, or, or Congress. In fact, most others in the top 30 have a tech theme to them. Bottom line, while our stock market's been good, so has the rest of the world's markets. President Trump has certainly created a benign environment for business, but I think the real heroes here are the CEOs who have driven their stocks higher by just being smart and executing right. In the end, business is about business, not so much about politics. I want to start by talking to Robert in California. Robert.
0: Hi, Jim. Calling from Encinitas, California. Love your show. Thank you. I hear your books. All I can say is it helps a lot. Thank you so much.
2: Oh, thank you for those nice words. Thank you very much. How can I help? My question is on the drug sector uh, with the opioid crisis, I
0: understand all the, the ships will, you know, go down with the tide, but my question is specific to the three big distributors. Uh, uh, Bergen, uh Cardinal and McKesson and McKesson had a great report last week, unfortunately, on the same day that President Trump you know, came out and talked about the opioid crisis, so it went up and down. But right. my confusion is that the PEs are so far off 19 and a half, 15 and a quarter, and six for McKesson. That doesn't seem to make sense no, to me. No, but I think people
2: that? feel they're going to get squeezed out. I think more and more people feel that the margins for these companies can't be helped. Uh, they're going to go down. The opioid crisis doesn't help them either. Uh, I want to stay away from these companies right now. They just don't fit into my scheme of where you got to be in healthcare. I like United Health, UNH. Mike in Illinois, Mike. Booyah, Jim. How are you? I am good. How about you, Mike? Excellent. My thought, Mike, I was wondering what your thoughts are on Mazer Robotics. I think Mazer... I, this is the son of, in, of Intuitive Surgical. We have liked it now for a double. I think it can go still higher. It's got a machine for backs that is like the uh, Da Vinci machine from Intuitive. And I think the stock is good. I would love to have the company back on. There was some SEC regulatory issue of the equivalent of SEC in Israel. We think the product is what matters, and it's good. Dennis in Michigan. Dennis. Hi, Jim. MGM
3: announced a solid quarter despite the horrible event last month. And the stock is over 5% today, yet MGP, the REIT, loses on the market today. How can that be when a REIT owning the property of MGM loses when MGM gains 5%? Your well, thought. Well,
2: you know, MGM is an operating company that's really based on uh, the fact that a lot of people were shorted, thinking that something was horrible would have happened to the earnings Because of what happened there, that did not come true. Uh, MGM Resorts' uh, growth properties is really a play on the yield curve and play on interest rates. And uh, it's going to continue to play that good 5%, which I like. But it doesn't react one for one with the stock. A lot of people were short MGM. They were betting against Jim Muren. I have never bet against Jim Muren. Why? Because I have horse sense. Sure, the president has created a sweet backdrop. But the executives of these winning companies, I think they're the real heroes. On oh, Man Money Tonight, take to interactive. You see that one has developed some of the biggest titles in the video game industry. After an over ten percent climb today, can the maker of Grand Theft Auto stock continue to rise? Hmm. I'm gonna sit down with the CEO, find out the game. If it's game one for the earnings, then has Snap snapped? I'm giving my take on the company after earnings, and I'm not putting a filter on it. And Zebra Technologies might be an exotic beast to you. But it's no stranger to the world's biggest companies like an Amazon, a Walmart, or even the U.S. Air Force. They're all putting its technology to work. Stock's up nearly 25% this year. But could this decline the last two days after earnings signal it's best to be avoided? I've got the CEO. Stick with Kramer.
3: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets.
2: about you, but for me, there's nothing better than being pleasantly surprised by one of your absolute favorite companies. Just look at Take-Two Interactive Software, that's TTWO, the big video game maker responsible for Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead Redemption, and a host of popular sports titles under the 2K banner, like NBA 2K18, which may be the greatest sports franchise in video game history. I've been pounding the table on gaming stocks for ages, and, and rightly so. Take-Two has now given you 115% gain year-to-date As of yesterday's close, but then the company reported a truly blowout quarter last night, and that propelled the stock into the stratosphere. Take-Two posted a terrific $0.35 earnings basis off a $0.74 basis, higher-than-expected sales, up 20% year-over-year, thanks in part to the success of Grand Theft Auto Online and NBA 2K18. These numbers sent the stock surging up about 11 bucks or over 10% today. That's huge. And you know what? (laughs) The most impressive part? This was never supposed to be a particularly impressive quarter for Take-Two, or even a particularly impressive year. Next year, 2018, they've got two anticipated, widely anticipated new titles, Red Dead Redemption 2 and Borderlands 3, which should give the earnings a major boost. So can the stock maintain the momentum? Let's check in with Strauss Zelnick, the chairman and CEO of Take-Two Interactive Software, learn more about this incredible quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Zelnick, welcome back to Made Money. Congratulations on an amazing Thanks number. You, Jim. Strauss, there were very few congratulations on calls this quarter, because I think most people said, all right, that was good. I expected good. Uh, people expected good. They got great. And one of the things that you really talked about, because I know you do themes in your conference call, the consumption of games has changed both on the calendar and how many hours we play and the number of people playing them. Yes.
1: So you're right. The media day is something like 22 hours in the United States now. now obviously, we're, we're not staying up that long. Right. We do a lot of things at once now. We have the ability to, to multitask. Only about an hour and a half of that is video games right now, and it's the fastest growing part of the entertainment business. So we think there's a lot of room for growth.
2: Right, I mean, we talk about total addressable market. I think we should be thinking about total addressable hours. And it's entirely possible that your share of the clock could go to three hours.
1: We think it ought to. It'll depend on what we put out. We also see our installed base growing. Right now, there are about 90 million of the current-gen consoles right. in, in households around the world. That's going to grow to like 140 million in just the next two years.
2: I want to talk about one that we. I, I want to talk about Red Dead because you said that was going to be a time. But there's this La Noire, okay? And and I hope I'm pronouncing it. La Noire, right? La Noire. Right. Noir. Yeah. And what I think is most interesting is this is this. You did this with Mafia Three. You are not just putting out shooter games. You're not just putting out sport games. You're putting out art games. Now that must appeal to a whole other demographic.
1: It does. Rockstar Games really push the uh, the edges with La Noir because it's it's it, it's really cinematic. It's truly really. interactive, and they're doing something really special. They're putting out a VR version of uh, seven of the cases of La Noir see, for HTC Vive. Okay, so. so
2: I read this, and the first thing I think of is like, is this going to be like Black Mirror? Could it be like Black Mirror, or could it be like a couple of great. You know, Raymond Chandler novels. I mean, to me, this—that's actually a great analogy. Well, Raymond that's Chandler. what. This is why I'm going. To, I'm going to buy this because it's just to me a novel yeah. brought to life by you. And yeah, the Amazing.
1: experience is going to be incredible. What's also great is Eleanor, is some years old. It's already sold in seven and a half million units, and it's coming to life again for current generation consoles.
2: How much does it matter when you look at the current generation consoles that they're 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 better than life? I mean, the this the Switch. It's extraordinary.
1: Well, when you when you play our basketball game, you know, just step back a foot or two and squint a little bit. You can't tell the difference between a video game and a live game. It's extraordinary. And that, too, is just the beginning. If you believe in Moore's law, and I do within a few years, you'll be astonished by what our graphics will look like.
2: Yeah, I, I think that when you look at an iPhone 10, it'll be the same. It'll be identical. Yeah, well, it's all going to merge. Right now, you gave a little bit of uh, showed a little bit of leg now on the uh, lifted the skirt to <laughs> to uh, esports, and you're talking about perhaps a draft. Uh, that could happen, and this is now we're within a couple of months of this. That's right. So, and you said you named some fellow Don, who You say Brendan really, Donu
1: is our managing director. Okay, of you know the who is he?
2: You, you shouted him out. I said I got to know more about that guy.
1: Yeah, I like Brendan. Yeah, and, and he's me. doing an amazing job. So Brendan has been with the NBA for a long time. He moved over to our JV. He's he's managing director of the joint venture that we ha- have with NBA. Really. And he's going to be making some announcements soon. He's already made some, but basically we have a selection process coming up. You can apply, Jim. Okay. And then we'll actually have a draft. No, I'm tempted because,
2: uh, you know, when I look at, I like Activision Blizzard, but they're all really, I mean, look, it's the biggest, richest names in the country. I want to be involved and not have to spend $500 million to.
1: That's right. Anyone can try out. And we will have a very diverse crew of the best gamers on Earth playing for 17 teams. And we're going to have a season in 2018. He'll make the rest of the announcements, but I couldn't be more excited. Do
2: you think one day NCAA scholarships and then go in the lake? You, right. Why would you rule anything out? I don't you think can't. there's
1: any difference between playing games professionally
2: and right. playing a game professionally. No, that's, I, except for the fact that you can be, a, you don't have to be six, seven. That's right. And that's a natural selection right. thing. We don't think it's right. And our teams will have men and women. Right. And, and I like and, that too. Right. Now, uh, you really differ, differentiate this quarter between GTA Online and GTA. And the percentages are pretty amazing of online. This is happening way too fast for most people. Uh,
1: It's amazing what's happened with Grand Theft Auto 5. We've sold in 85 million units and and we're having another record year with Grand Theft Auto Online, which, as you know, was not our expectation. Four years after initial release, you know, the audience is growing and people love it more than ever. And that's that's really related to and driven by. The incredible creativity coming out of Rockstar Games and the fact that they keep dropping new content into Grand Theft Auto Online.
2: Well, there is a big difference between your call and your quarter and then Electronic Arts and Activision Blizzard. They they are still seasonal. They have that big season and if it goes well, they do well and if it doesn't, forget it. You're driven by creativity. Creativity doesn't seem to have a quarter.
1: We don't really have seasonality. You know, we put out huge releases in January and February. In the spring, we right. have Red Dead coming in the spring of 2018. Um, when you give people what they want, they come out for it. Now, look, we're not going to put out a big title in the, in the depths of right. summer. Probably not a great time to do it. But apart from that, we're year-round business.
2: All right. All right one last question. I could get it from him. I want to get it from you. Why, do, why does my nephew and head writer, why, do my, why does my family love Red Dead? Why was it <laughs> important that it not come out until it was ready?
1: The reason we're sitting here today, the reason I get to be on your show, is that we never put out anything until it's the best it can possibly be. Red Dead is going to be—I'm not allowed to overpromote it. Right. That's not my nature. It's uh, built from the ground up for this generation going to be amazing oh,
2: i can't wait i really can't this is very exciting we didn't even get to wwe and china there's so much more to this story and yet it's still not high enough i'm not kidding even after today that's Strauss selling he's the chairman and ceo of take two interactive what a story what a guy what a game all the games stay with kramer What would the market pay for the stock of Snap if it came public right now, with the numbers and the structural problems we heard on last night's conference call? I'll tell you one thing: you wouldn't get these prices. No way. Well, there's no way we'd actually pay just under 13 bucks for this thing in an IPO, even though the stock fell almost 15% today. What can only be considered hellish earnings. Let's do a valuation exercise. Think about Twitter versus Snap. What's a better buy? Twitter, less than 30 percent user penetration in the U.S. and most markets with a 35 percent gross margin or snap, which has a 70 percent user penetration and 21 percent gross margins. Obviously, Twitter's a much better prospect, yet it's valued at 14 and a half billion. Snap clock's in at more than 15 and a half billion. Head scratcher makes no sense to me. And look, there really was nothing good happening at that snap quarter. I mean, I tried to find something. I I couldn't. The business is slowing. The app itself, by their own admission, not good enough for prime Android time. The Spectacles business had to take a staggering $39.9 million charge. Because as Andrew Valero, the chief financial officer, said on the call, and I quote, unfortunately, we misjudged strong early demand for Spectacles and purchased more inventory than we now anticipate being able to sell, end quote. That's just Bush League people. But the worst confession, and there were lots of confessions in this call, was that now over 80% of Snap ad impressions are being delivered programmatically. That's a huge change from when the company came public, where they had reserved business, as they call it. Uh, and that's a great model. That means that the advertisers were handcrafting programs for Snap. I like that. Advertisers believed in the campaigns. They thought they could produce some spectacular results with millennials. The gross margins on those reserved ads are terrific because they're proprietary and the money goes directly to Snap. Programmatic ads, as I know from this tweet.com, shred your margins and they never return to the old level because advertisers are just going to go where the algorithms say they can get the best results. That's what programmatic's about. It clearly means somewhere other than Snap which makes me think that what we really saw at the time of the IPO was what's known as advertiser sampling, consumer products companies trying to figure out how effective Snap can be working on a program with them. And the answer, I think, after it's now shifted to so much programmatic, it's not that good. So those sampling are rolling off and being replaced by the random ad servers that they have no say about. I hated to hear that Snap is already immersed in a redesign when they told us before they came public that the app's terrific. Evan Spiegel, the co-founder and CEO, gave you no timing on the redesign and threw in a line I, that I guess he thought was funny. I quote, I look forward to surprising you. Jeez, that's the last thing we want from Snap. Another surprise. Look, I know that Cent, a well-run, fast-growing Chinese company, just took a 10% position in Snap. And a lot of investors who, who felt like selling the stock now feel much better about it. But as I said on Squawk on the Street, I don't care if it's ten cent. Or 50 cent. If the dogs won't eat it, so what? Plus, remember that Snap's common stock has no votes, meaning there's no real way for the public shareholders to hold management accountable. No activists here. Judging by the size of the losses, it certainly seems, well, let's just say, I don't get a sense that anyone's holding the company's feet to its fire. No one. Of course, they can always couch their losses in positive terms by saying they're building a platform for the long term, playing the long game. And some people always believe that. Nevertheless, in the stock market, sometimes bad is bad. Not only should Snap be worth, let's say, much less than $15.5 billion, I question it should even be public. In fact, if they waited three more quarters to do the IPO, meaning right here, the stock likely wouldn't be anywhere near this high. With these numbers, you know what? It might not even have been able to come public at all. Let's go to Al in Hawaii. Al. Hey, Jim, aloha from uh, sunny Hawaii. Mahalo, my friend.
3: (laughs) Hey, I'd like to get your take on uh, Momo. Uh, The stock's been actually going down for the last six weeks. Uh, Where do you think it's going to go?
2: Momo is not in my ohana. I just think that it's just another one of these companies. Remember, I'm recommending. I'm recommending Alibaba. It's the only one I am. This is mobile social network, and I am not sure at all about that one. I need to go to Molly in North Carolina. Molly,
3: booyah,
2: booyah, Molly.
3: Love your show. Oh,
2: thank you. you. Need- I was just out west. A lot of people love the show. There, it made me feel great. How can I help? <laughs> you have gotten me so excited about investing. My yes. question was about. Dick Sporting Goods. I own stock in the company and I'm an avid tennis player and golfer. And when I go there, they don't seem to have the top of the line products like they used to. It also seems like they haven't leveraged their retail presence as an online presence. I'm wondering what you see in the future for Dick Sporting Goods and the outlook of the stock. I kind of feel what Mr. T predicted for Rocky. I see in the future nothing but pain. And I think the Dixon 25 is still a good level to let it go, even though it's down 52%. I do not want to guide people to go into traditional bricks and mortar retail unless they have a particular niche like a Home Depot or a Costco or a TJX. And even there, even there, the volatility is something to behold. Okay, listen up. I'm not going to put a filter on it. If Snap came public right now, it wouldn't be nearly this high. Heck, it might not have been able to come public at all. Much more mad money had, including my exclusive, was Zebra Technologies. Could the company change its stripes after yesterday's 7% post-earnings decline? I'm sitting down with the CEO. Man, Italians might be known for their pizza and their pasta. But is it time to start paying more attention to their motorcycles? Don't miss my exclusive with the man in the driver's seat of Ducati. Oh, I love those machines. And all your calls, rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post Nine at the NYSE. That's a beautiful tie. I want want this tie coming. Wow. Jim Stewart, Carl, you got to feel that that tie. That is so soft. It's like a 500 count. (laughs) I got to have that. It's like an aww, baby. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. just happened to the stock of Zebra Technologies. Here's a company that's a leader in what's known as enterprise asset intelligence. Think barcodes, mobile printing, data capture, location, motion management, solutions, and cloud-based device management, which you know we think is really important. Basically, Zebra helps other businesses improve their productivity, especially retailers and also healthcare providers. The stock has been roaring lately. It's still up 24% year-to-date, but since Zebra reported yesterday morning, it's been hit with a nasty 7.9% sell-off. That pullback continued with the stock down another dollar and change today. Reason? It's unclear. Uh, Some think that uh, even though the company handily beat Wall Street sales and earnings estimates and the guidance was really solid, they seem to be spooked by Zebra's elevated inventory levels. This is uh, even though management explained that they should be able to clear the backlog by the end of the year. And I trust their view. So does the sell off make sense or is this just Wall Street overreacting and give you another great buying opportunity and a terrific company? Let's dig deeper with Anders Gustafsson. He is the CEO of Zebra Technologies. Get a better sense of the quarter and where the company is headed. Anders, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks. Okay, Anders, I was mystified. I mean, i check around. People say, oh, no, it was the inventory issue. Uh, I, I don't really see an inventory issue. I just see an opportunity. And I think that your stock has had a big run. It delivered perfect numbers, and then people took some profits.
0: Yeah, we're not quite sure what, you know, what caused right. this. Uh, some have speculated it was profit-taking. Uh, we were up quite a bit you know, pr- running into the the earnings announcement, but as you said, our, our uh, Q3 results are very strong. We oh. beat handily on top line and bottom line, and the guidance for Q4 was higher than expectations, so uh, we were a little surprised. I, well, I think it
2: made no sense, but a lot of things make no sense yeah. in, this stock, in these stocks. Now, we spent some time in yeah. the last couple of days with Adobe and with New Relic, and they manage, uh, uh, they're very much part of the chain of e-commerce, yeah. uh, but you fit into, particularly if uh, we often talk about the retail sector dying, brick and mortar. Zebra Tech helps them come alive, right?
0: Yeah, we, see, it, uh, we have been a very strong player in, in retail for many years. And retail has been a strong growth vertical for us in the past, uh, past, you know, past year plus. Yeah. And uh, we actually, you know, since it is such an important market for us, we, we commissioned a study. Uh, we talked about a thousand retailers in Europe and, and, and the U.S. to really understand what are the trends. You know, what's going on? You the headlines are so negative. Yes. But we actually found that, you know, retail expected to grow by 3% for the next five years, per year, for right. the next five years. Store closings are actually slightly higher. Store openings are slightly higher than store closings. Which is amazing, just different kind of stores. Yeah, but it's, it's um, uh, five uh, ch- retail chains that account for about 30% of all the store closings. So they need that's to
2: know it. where all their product yeah. is, and that's you can really help them because yeah. it's just a huge... Huge swing in how people get product to yeah. the
0: consumer. Yeah, they, 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 so the, the leaders in retail today are investing heavily in new technology to enable right. them to uh, to be able to uh, you know, execute on an omni-channel strat- strategy. You know,
2: now I uh, was asking around about some people who, whether they yeah. like. Some people said your stuff's a little expensive, but they say <laughs> it's just something they paid for quality. But one of, one of the people that I interviewed said that uh, you're great with drone management.
0: Drone management. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure we, that would be correct. You know. Well, no, but I mean, you, this is for warehouses. For warehouses, yeah. Where
2: you, if they, if they have drones, yeah. they input where the drones are into oh, okay. your equipment oh, okay. and they're using it oh, in okay. order okay. to be able to yeah, yeah. Uh, to figure out how yeah. to handle all their, I mean, these yeah. giant, the distribution of e-commerce is yeah. too hard.
0: Yeah, I mean, e-commerce is a, you know, a big market for us right. also. It's our fastest growing part of the, of the retail chain. And, uh, you know, there's lots of different use cases. You know, we, we see automation as, uh, you know, part, drones could be part of that. But, right. you know, how to auto- automate the, or bring intelligence to the edge of the network and automate the data capture piece is a big part of automation. Okay, so I'm with my handheld, yeah.
2: and it's getting me the information. How is, uh, how is your company paid?
0: For, for uh, specifically for using, yeah, I mean, because
2: the, the devices, but also yeah. once the device yeah. is in, how do you continue to get payment from the device?
0: Yeah, so we, we, there is a traditional you know, purchase of the hardware. Right. Then we have, uh, you know, we have something we call operational visibility services, which enables uh, us to provide uh, real-time data around what how the per device is performing. Right. So the qu- quality of what the application is using, you know, if it's uh, turned on or any kind of alarms, right. you can push software updates to it and so forth. So that's a that will be a, a you know, monthly recurring revenue stream for us. Okay. Now, how about healthcare? Uh, healthcare will be the same. Um, healthcare was our fastest growing vertical in the now last why quarter. Why is that? Is that because of regulation? Uh, uh, partly part of regulation, okay. but I think the, 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 our value proposition generally is around how we help our customers improve productivity. But in healthcare, we help we do that, but we also help address the quality of care, mm-hmm. and and we reduce errors in. I was uh, going to say, yeah. you,
2: you, are you the ones that make it so I don't get the wrong needle? Right. I don't my op, yeah. my operation is on the only area that I want, right? Yep. That's you. So you're yeah. integral to that. Yeah,
0: and you know, medical error is actually the third highest uh, cause of death uh, in the U.S. No. So you know, being able to reduce the quality or improve the quality of care, reduce the medical errors is a big, big factor.
2: Well, look, you guys are integral in a bunch of different systems. And I think that I mean, one day if I just wish we go to a warehouse, I don't yeah. think people realize that warehouses are not just stacks of boxes. No. And we, without you, I don't know if we can tell where things are.
0: No, it, it's, a, you know, our customers, need, you know, they try, they're investing a lot in warehouse technology today to be able to, to drive you know productivities and make sure they know what they have. So if, if they have an e-commerce order, then they can fulfill it, they can commit to it with confidence. Fascinating.
2: Fascinating. Well, thank you so much. That's Anders Gustafsson. I've got to tell you, he's the CEO of Zebra Technology. There's nothing wrong here. The stock went up big ahead of the quarter. It's a great play on e-commerce, like Adobe, like XBO Logistics, all these companies I keep talking about, because that's the way of the future. And of course, Amazon, which never quits. That money's back in the break. It is time. It's time for a very special day before our Veterans Day show at West Point Lightning Round on Mad Money. You have to go to West Point tomorrow. That's where I we'll take your calls. Round five. The so, so 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 <semaines> and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skate Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Let's start with Gregory in Michigan. Gregory. Yes. Hi, Jim. Gregory, what's up? Um, I bought 20,000 uh, units of Gil Gillet Sciences. I understand that they bought out one of their neighbors, and it's been up and down like a yo-yo, Jim. What do you want me to do? Um, I think it's too cheap to sell down here at 73, and they bought a nice biotech company, but it is really not one of my favorites, and I expect that it could be five more down without a problem. Just got to point that out. Let's go to John in Nebraska. John. Jim. My stock is Halozyme, H-A-L-O. Oh, we like Halo. We had them on. This is really fabulous technology that they have. I think it's one of the best of these proprietary immunization car team situations. I like the stock. I think you should own it. Steve in South Dakota. Steve.
0: Hey, Jim, big fan. Love the show i curious to see what your thoughts were on Exxon Mobile.
2: Exxon's fine. I prefer Chevron over Exxon if you we went to majors. Uh, Simrex reported a quarter today that was the best. XEC club members of the plus.com club know this is my favorite. What a monster quarter. How about Steve in Texas? Steve.
0: Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I hear everything about Nike and Adidas and authority, uh, sports authority and stuff like that. I want to know about the forgotten child, Skechers.
2: Skechers had the best quarter of anything, which you just mentioned. Uh, Under Armour had the worst. Nike's in the middle. Adidas is good. Adidas, they called. it. I met them yesterday at Dreamforce. But Skechers' numbers were superior. Let's go to Andrew New York. Andrew.
0: Booyah, Jim. I- I'm looking at AMC. At the no, just look. Don't a do sandwich. a thing.
2: Just look. Because that stock is not going higher. I don't want you anywhere near it. Mark in Montana.
3: Mark. Hello Jim, here's a big sky booyah from Sula, Montana.
2: Oh my god, it's so First beautiful there. I love it there.
3: It's great. First and foremost hats
2: off to you and your team for all you do. Oh thank you. My stock my stock is G
3: B C I Glacier Bank Corp up about twenty nine percent.
2: It, it's it's a very day. big premium to uh, the book value, which does concern me because that's what those companies trade at. But at the same time, the Fed's raising rates. If the Fed's raising rates, Glacier would be terrific to own. So you don't need to do it, but you need to know that it is pricier than a lot of the banks that I follow. Let's go to Craig in California. Craig. Hey, how are you, Jim? I am good. How about you? Do well, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. My question stays on the Kimpton Steel Company. Uh, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, smelling the blast furnaces and watching the flames come out of the smokestacks to Republic Steel. Saw those go out for a while. Timken uh, revenue looks like it's significantly up for twenty over twenty sixteen. The margins look wider. I know. Look, I, I got to tell you, it was a stock that people thought that the president was going to issue two thirty two ruling defending the industry. It's now hapless without it. I like the company. Visited the visited one of their foundries, but I can't recommend it. I like Newcore more. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by T.G. Ameritrade. Few brand names do a better job of evoking luxury and exclusivity. Then Ducati, the Italian maker of super high-end racing-inspired motorcycles. Here's a company, one that's ultimately a subsidiary of Volkswagen, with a long history of innovation. And I think they can give us a terrific read on the kind of luxuries that people are willing to shell out for right now in this environment. Now, earlier this week, Ducati unveiled its 2018 lineup in Milan. And the next day at Dreamforce, I got a chance to speak with Jason Chinnick. He's the CEO of Ducati North America. Take a look. I think of your brand, Ducati as being exclusive, as being great design. But how do you convey that to younger people? Because younger people need to know right now how they should
3: and why they should know Ducati. Ducati is a brand that's heritage is based in sport. And when you think about youth, people want to connect with something that actually makes them feel young and vibrant and be part of be part of a culture and a community where they get a chance to also express themselves. So this is what motorcycling is, and in Ducati offers that at the at the highest level in terms of being part of that sporting nature. You know, between the racing and all of the different product lineup that we bring to market, it gives it, it gives us a chance to be able to connect with them not only through the product, but also through some of the technology that we're introducing to the product and how we're developing our relationship with the customer. Okay,
2: Italian company, you run North America. How? Does a North American 18 to 25 year old discover Ducati?
3: It's a good question. That's actually an industry challenge overall. Yes, particularly I mean,
2: because you know there's another couple competitors that have the demographic that's mine. Yeah, I, mean, you know, I love my demographic, but that
3: doesn't you don't catch them early. No, definitely not. You know, through one of the things that we've been doing is really through product. We brought in a new line a few years ago called Scrambler. And what it is, it's the idea that it's something that's an endorsed brand from Ducati. It's a bit post-heritage, which is a bit fashionable right, right. now. But it's unintimidating. It's an inviting. It's, when you look at one of those motorcycles, you smile. And so the product is part of it. But it's also communicating with them through the channels that these guys frequent. And it's largely social media. You know, when we look at the Scrambler line, not one cent has been put to print advertising. Not one cent. Not one cent. It's exclusively digital.
2: Facebook, digital, uh, direct Facebook, to consumer. Instagram,
3: direct. A little bit of direct to consumer, but really, what but it boils Instagram. down to. Instagram. Instagram. So where would I see it? Uh, Scramblerducati.com. It ends up. We end up doing a little bit of ad uh, ad buy here. That will pop up in the feed, and we just basically find the things that we believe that they would connect with outside of motorcycling, and. With that brand, we also don't look at motorcycling as being the the uh, the continuity. It's right. something that's whether it's music or fashion or food or kind of the maker lifestyle, something that's a little bit different, and we connect with them that way. And we also bring that direct to them in environments where maybe we would be unexpected, like surf contests or pop up stores. Surf. And, oh yeah, absolutely, really? music festivals. And it helps bring people do, into motorcycles.
2: Okay, so do you work with Live Nation? How do you know what a music festival would have Ducati people? We're,
3: we're actually we don't You're we don't. Agnostic. Yeah, well, we work on a little bit of more of an underground level, more well, guerrilla gor- style.
2: Reason is because Salesforce uh, has combined with Live Nation to be able to get a certain demo in that otherwise would know. Yep. And I figured Salesforce must be doing that for you too.
3: Well, actually, not directly with Live Nation, but but we're working with them in terms of how that we're going to how we're going to get to know the customer better. Okay. Uh, more so, it's more about once we have the customer, how do we keep them and so how do we it, learn about it's them? It's
2: not just iron,
3: no. that you're selling. No, 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 it's a brand, it's a lifestyle. Okay. I mean, product is part of it. The motorcycle is just a piece. In fact, I tell our dealers and salespeople in our organization, all the motorcycle is, is it's the gateway to, the, to enter into the world of the brand. The brand of Ducati, the brand of Scrambler. And once they come in, it's now our job to nurture them, to take care of them, to get them to develop into a customer that can work their way throughout our product lineup, but also give them experiences that are more than just the machine. Because we want them to use it. You know, those days of of $40,000, $50,000 choppers that are beautifully built and sit in the garage and collect dust, that's a waste of time. We want people to ride it. We want people to experience it.
2: Now, uh, one thing that I, I the, another company in your industry has apparel that I think has now been a tapped for people who are older, 50s, 60s on the road. Ducati apparel is youthful apparel.
3: Absolutely. I mean, it's either we we have a kind of a mix of things, things that are technical that are really meant for writing, right. but even then, you know, it's designed with Italian fashion sense. Right. Uh, we work with a couple specific designers, a gentleman, Aldria Drudi, uh, that makes the designs for our most of our technical stuff but then when we get into the position of our lifestyle elements it is very youthful it's either sporting uh, or casual Mm -hmm. but it's an element where people get to wear the brand and promote the brand off the bike Well,
2: uh, one last question Italian company US and this has historically been a US made product that people like you've been you've been able to make it more universal you're, through, through what, I'm sorry? How have you been able to make your brand more universal oh. so someone doesn't say, I'm not buying Italian?
3: It's an interesting concept. And really what it's been is that it's been the breadth of the product that we brought out. You know, when some people get themselves pigeonholed with what they're known for, it's like if we were a manufacturer that just built pickups, right. and that's all we're known for, then you have risks of fluctuations in the market of whether people are buying that product. We've diversified our product right. offering a lot over the last 10 years, and we do build a cruiser. But we build a Ducati cruiser. It's a power cruiser. You know, we're pushing almost 160 horsepower. So then we get away from the not-for-me conversation. Gotcha. And the diversity of the product lineup has been a big element that has helped us and shape our new customers for the future. Excellent.
2: I want to thank Jason Chinnick. He's the CEO of Ducati North America. Also, thank you for serving, because I know you were tank commander in Desert Storm. Yes, sir. Thank Excellent. you. Thank you. Please do not miss our very special Veterans Day show with the great cadets at West Point tomorrow. I think it's going to be a really good one. Yesterday and the day before we were out at Dreamforce, I keep thinking about those incredible technologies that we saw, the technologies that make it so that every entrepreneur can live their dream out. I think you should check it out. I think it could be for you. Now, I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I'll see you from West Point tomorrow.
1: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.